Hello, everybody, and welcome back to my podcast, Christian in Progress. My name is Samuel Perez, and just a little bit about myself, I am a former gay stripper. Yep, that's right, you heard that correctly. (laughs) I left behind the homosexual lifestyle to walk with Christ, and this podcast is all about how I do it, why I do it, and to help others like me, and educate those that maybe are not like me. I want to talk but I really want to talk about what a real life with Jesus looks like in 2021. Nothing is off limits, and I want to be as transparent as I possibly can be. Before we get started, I want to let everyone know that this podcast is completely free to listen to, and we do accept donations, and we have some awesome rewards and gifts for those who want to become patrons of the podcast. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Podbean, click on the description and you'll find the link to becoming a patron of the podcast, which means you'll be making a regular monthly commitment. And we also have my website where you can find resources to give through PayPal, Venmo, or Cash App at www.com. Well, www.samuelabrahamperez.com. There we go. So on today's episode, we have Joey Treve, a Christian who deconstructs um, evangelicism on TikTok. So how are you doing, Joey? Hey, I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. I'm so glad. Okay, so I'm really glad that you're on this podcast because um, I actually found you on TikTok because I I try to do a little bit of uh, research um, on TikTok as I'm making more content. And your video just popped up and it was all about the mark of the beast. And so (laughs) real quick before um, you actually go into it, I actually wanted to show the audience one of your TikToks. So here it is. The mark of the beast may be the most misunderstood concept in the Bible. This mark is said to be a microchip implant that the government will force us to receive and cut your head off if you refuse to take it. Yeah, none of that's in this book, that's just in this one. Revelation actually says that John saw a beast and people need a mark symbolizing that beast's name in order to buy or sell things. So this requires wisdom. Let him that has understanding count the number of the beast, for this is the number of a man, 666. John is stressing that this is a code to be deciphered, not something literal, and his first century readers would immediately know this is gematria. Gematria is assigning numeric value to letters and then writing code. This was a common practice in the Hebrew language. 666 is a gematria code for Nero. You can't buy and sell without it because he's on all the money. John is making a political statement by calling Nero a beast. In some manuscripts, the number is 616, but this too means Nero, just with an alternate spelling used in that region. John is talking about Caesar in a code that only his intended audience would understand, so if a Roman saw it, he wouldn't know what it means. John is rebuking churches that have aligned themselves with Nero because they wanted power by saying that they have taken his mark. What does this mean for us today? When Christians have compromised their faith for political power, their true allegiance is exposed. Their faith is false, and they have taken their mark. Oh my goodness. There it is. <laughs> so yeah, that's that, amazing. Well, thanks. I, I, I did not expect it to blow up the way it did. You know, before that one, my TikToks were just getting, you know, a few a few views, a few thousand starting out. But um, then that one just randomly went nuts. <laughs> so it brought in a lot of followers. Now it's slowed down again. But uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. You know, something um, something that I have in common with you, um, Joey, is that I grew up in evangelical churches as well. Well, I, yeah. I grew up kind of in, in between both Baptist and Pentecostal. <laughs> my yeah, my dad yeah. was very uh, Pentecostal and my mom, she was like very Baptist. Um, so okay. I have some crazy like traumas and just like weird experiences um, out of evangelical Pentecostal like churches. Um, oh sure, don't we all? I mean, that's that's part of that's part of the childhood and evangelicalism is <laughs> dealing with that. So before you started your TikTok and started producing all these content, you know, just really analyzing things that um are being spoken about in the evangelical church and you know through Pentecostalism or you know th- um, that specific denomination, um, you actually grew up in a church like that yourself, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I grew up right in the in, in a 
well, Assemblies of God, Church of God, we, we kind of went to both of those, but uh, the evangelical world. And um, uh, of course, I was completely surrounded with um, rapture teaching. Uh, honestly, as a kid, like if I were to think about my relationship with faith, with Jesus, with, with religion in general, uh, the rapture, the end of the world, <laughs> would be one of the big things uh, that would come up because that was constantly in front of me. Um, uh, along with this idea that we are uh, basically the underdogs in America, that we're being persecuted, that we're facing martyrdom even as a possibility. Um, just a lot of ingrained, I think, um, of a victim complex even that a lot of evangelicals probably can relate to. Um, so as I got older, I started to rethink some things. It, it was one nagging question after the other. And... Um, Slowly but surely, I started to reanalyze, rethink my faith, and rethink how to approach the Bible. And there were some great sources along the way that helped me a ton. But um, it's been a real journey, man. <laughs> I'm sure you went through a, a lot like that, too, of kind of rethinking your beliefs. Yeah, man. I think uh, growing up in a Pentecostal church, and, and I just want to make a disclaimer so you guys can know a little bit about me. I still... I fully love some of the charismatic movement. You know, I'm a huge fan of Catherine Coleman and, um, you know, some of the big um, kind of Pentecostal churches now, like Upper Room, Jesus, um, Image. Those are kind of like the big ones. Um, I love their music and I love, you know, the Holy Spirit um, kind of movement that they've got going on. But there are, of course, just things that I don't necessarily agree with and I just can't see within the scripture. And so yeah, just exactly. because, yeah, just because I like something doesn't necessarily mean that I have to throw the whole baby out with the bathwater, you know? Yeah. Um, well, that, that's been my whole uh, approach to this is that I have some close friends and, and um, family even that um, as I go through deconstruction, they uh, begin to, well, throw everything out. And um, everyone's deconstruction <laughs> journey is, is their own and it's their own walk with God. So I'm not, you know, here to, to critique someone else's own walk. But, but for me, mine looked different. And so I just wanted to present that, you know, that, um, Yes, I, I have rethought a lot of, about my faith, and I've rethought a lot about uh, uh, where I stand even politically and, and theologically, but I'm trying to show that you don't have to look like a fundamentalist to be a Christian. You can, uh, you know, work out your own salvation, as the Bible says. You can mm -hmm. wrestle with the Word, wrestle with God like Jacob, and you don't have to give up your faith just because several things uh, upset you. Yeah, and some, some things just don't add up. Um, so yeah. what does it mean to be fundamentalist? Because I, I probably have some audience, you know, that is listening and they're like, what is fundamentalist? What does that mean? Right. So great question. Great question. Um, so uh, first of all, there's evangelicalism, uh, where that is kind of just a, a very American uh, Christian movement. And it's, it's it can be in any denomination. Uh, so it's not like one denomination is evangelical. It's, it's more of a movement throughout many. And... Uh, fundamentalism uh there's one book i was reading i wish i could remember the the author so i could you know say it but uh he said maybe the best way to, to define fundamentalist is just a really pissed off evangelical <laughs> he said it's basically just um an evangelical who's gone more militant and more extreme in their beliefs um an evangelical who who it's more about the way they present their beliefs than it is the um the beliefs themselves it's about the the character um, yeah so, so one of those 
one of those examples could possibly be like um, they take the word of God like extremely literally. So yes. if they see something like, let's say, for example, in Genesis and the, it'll say the, the world was created in seven days, they will say, OK, this is a literal seven days. And we're, we're yeah. probably going to be getting into something like that. But um, what, what do you think about the world being created in seven days? I know that that we've actually spoken about evolution. So for example, for me, like I one of the best research that I usually um, send people over to is Ken Ham. I, I kind of really love his work because I've never really been um, super into studying the book of Genesis just yet. I haven't reached there right now. I'm in the Gospels. Um, okay. But I can't wait to start um, researching, you know, what does it mean for the world um, to be created the way that God said? Is it seven literal days? Is it 7,000 years? Is it what do, you, what do you think about that? So Bible literalism was like the, one of the first big things that he constructed. And along with that came creationism. Uh, because what I realized is that um, basically Christians for a long time did not necessarily read the Bible as literal. Now, in what I grew up, uh, I th- just assumed that everyone who's a Christian read the Bible as literal. I assumed that was just kind of the default. Uh, what I learned is that in the late 1800s, uh, a bunch of pastors got together and wrote a series of books called The Fundamentals. And their intention was to send that to uh, pastors who could not afford seminary. So mostly throughout the Bible Belt in America, these pastors who couldn't afford seminary were using these books called the Fundamentals as their primary or even their only source of education. And in those books, they taught Bible literalism. And um, they taught it because uh, it was just more simple, I think, than going through the ancient uh, meaning behind Hebrew text and, and the imagery. And, you know, It was just easier to say it's literal. Um, yeah. But once I, once I realized that it's okay to read the Bible without a literal framework and to understand its meta, its metaphorical and its imagery uh, in more of a poetic stance and the truth being communicated through that instead of just literal, I was like, well, let's look back at creationism then, you know? Um, let's look at that again and see if I really believe like that. Um, it's kind of funny uh, because at the time, so I remember the year was 2014 and I was a youth pastor and we were, you know, doing our thing at the youth group, and I saw a ad one day for um, Neil deGrasse Tyson's TV show Cosmos, and uh, I was enthralled. I, I think for the first time, I actually heard fully the uh, the evolution um, science, you know, and that show it's not meant for very it's not. It's meant for all ages. So what I what I got was probably an elementary school level of, of understanding of uh, evolution. But as an evangelical kid, I never paid attention in science classes because I already had all the answers. Hmm. Um, so so that was kind of like your first time ever hearing, really, really understanding like science from that perspective because it was just like, oh, well, you know, like science doesn't really exist because the Bible says everything. <laughs> yeah, so like, so the, the problem that I have with uh, Bible literalism and, and fundamentalism is that it, it causes us to ignore all experts. It causes us to assume that any expert opinion is, if it's not exactly like the Bible, it's demonic and it's out to get you. So we mm-hmm. have this very, again, militaristic approach to any um, uh, expert opinion out there and we throw it out. And so even as a kid in like, you know, science classes, if we had a test about evolution, I would write answers my answers would just be about jesus and i would flunk the test uh because i i wasn't 
trying to learn it. So anyway, and I, that's actually kind of crazy too, um, because I remember growing up, it was like one of the things that I struggled with, especially in um, evan evangelism, you know, churches and Pentecostal churches, um, was that they automatically just demonize everything. They yes. like they they yes. with fundamentalism and you know um, taking the Bible literally. They just they read those things and they say, okay, well, if it's not in here, then it's just the answer is that it has to be demonic. So since science yep. is not in the Bible, then it has to be demonic because anything that's exactly. not from the Bible is from the demons or from Satan. And I'm just like, exactly. oh man, if, if they only really, like I first started to understand that when I went to um, Oral Roberts University and they were teaching me, you know, I, I did um, biblical literature, that was my degree. And I, which I thought was going to be the opposite. I thought it was going to be a very biased program, like since yeah, they are yeah. kind of <laughs> evangelicism. Um, right. But, but actually it wasn't there. That was the first time that they actually started teaching me about Hebrew and they started teaching me about the Hebrew literature and how that works and what's poetry in Hebrew and what's not, what's meant to be taken symbolically and what's not meant to be taken symbolically. So sure, sure. that first time of understanding, I'm like, oh man, everything is not just from demons, I was like, well, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, and it opens up a whole world. You know, it's interesting to me that fundamentalism uh, really grew because of a lack of, of education. These pastors couldn't afford college, so they use these books. And then yeah. as fundamentalism goes on, they perpetuate that by continuing to encourage people to not get very far in education and continue yeah. to just trust the fundamentals. Um, yeah, even, which is even wrong, demonized. too, because... Yeah, it's wrong because even like, for example, um, Paul, you know, he's he studied under uh, Gamaliel. I believe that's how you say his name, um, yeah. which was a, a Pharisee at the time. Um, uh, even the disciples, they had knowledge, which was from from Greece. Um, it was like uh, countless amounts of literature that even you can tell just by the way that they're writing that they reference um, um, some type of imagery from Greek literature. So it's that's like right. these people who were um, followers of Jesus, they had other knowledge that wasn't just limited to the Jude. Judaism worldview, right? They had knowledge That's that right. was also from the Roman worldview and from the um, Greeks worldview. So, yeah, exactly. And, and um, so, so as a youth pastor, <laughs> I'm, I'm finishing up, you know, with our youth group, and I'm preaching them the kind of messages you would expect from an evangelical, you know, 21 year old, whatever I was at the time. I don't know, 22. Um, and then I'm driving home as fast as I can to go watch. Neil deGrasse Tyson blow my mind about evolution and the whole time I'm thinking like oh man I can't let anybody know about this this is like a secret thing because <laughs> you know it was like so bad to learn about evolution but it blew my mind and I started to think you know it do I have to sacrifice knowledge for faith do I have to give up uh do I have to do I have to decide right now that every expert in the world in science and chemistry and ge geology and you know and everything that they're all lying to me and they're all out to get me or is it okay to accept expert opinion about this and um when i realized that there's nothing about evolution that is contrary to the message of jesus and, mm -hmm. and that it's okay it's okay to believe in it it, it, it honestly set me free um mm -hmm. It was about getting away from that Bible literalist view, um, which for that, I had to learn that each book in the Bible, and I'm sure you know this going through the schooling you did, but each yeah. book in the Bible is a different genre. Uh, yeah. And those genres have different rules that apply. You don't, um, yes. you know, you don't read a poem the same way you read like a, a chemistry textbook, and you don't read a fairy tale the same way you read a biography. 
Uh, yeah, if I could, um, it was so funny because I remember I was taking a um, wisdom literature class. This was yeah. wisdom literature, so it was the first. Uh, it was the four books of poetry, um, Hebrew poetry within the Old Testament. And my first experience with that um, was understanding that Proverbs, Job, Ecclesiastes, Psalms, and you know Songs of um, Solomon is it has to be read in a different format than I would um, his, the historical books, which are, you know, right. Nehemiah and um, Isaiah and all these other um, books, First Kings, Second Kings, um, Samuel. And I would just reading the Bible all like the same. So I would take stuff from Proverbs, which is not meant to be taken literally because it's poetry. It's That's like right. spoken word, you know, it's, it's trying to convey a certain point without... Um, uh, through uh, very strong means and I was yes. reading those things and I was thinking oh this is what I have to do and so many of the Christians that I know they think that they have to do that too or they'll remove that book from its series which is wrong to do as well if I decide that I want to take Proverbs and I say well Proverbs says this right and take that out of its context and not put it within the context of the wisdom literature that it is you know I yeah. have to put Proverbs within Proverbs and um, and Job and Ecclesiastes and because all of them are trying to convey a point. So if I remove something, exactly. it's going to give me a really wrong interpretation of what it actually means. So that was my first time understanding that. I was like, okay, I can't just read every book in the Bible exactly the same way. I have to understand why they're being written, who wrote it, um, like the sages, they wrote that. Sure. And I was thinking to myself, why is this not being taught in church? Like, yeah. and why why am I not yeah. allowed to like ask these types of questions? And why don't I have the yeah. answer to these questions? Why don't the pastors that I know have the answers to these questions? So. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the big things that somebody showed me once uh, to kind of drive from the point that not everything in the Bible is literal. Some of it is, you know, some of it is mm -hmm. meant to be taken literally, but a lot of it isn't. And they pointed out to me that in Acts, um, when Peter is preaching from the upper room, he quotes a verse in Joel. And mm -hmm. it, it, the, the verses, um, your young men will dream dreams, your old men will prophesy, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Um, mm -hmm. a very common verse that any Pentecostal kid has heard a lot. <laughs> and yes, anyway, so, that so, is the so, verse that they all love to use. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so anyway, so, so Peter quotes that, and he says, this is the fulfillment of that. He says, What's, what you're seeing right now in the upper room, that's fulfilling what Joel said. Well, if you go back to the actual verse in Joel, you'll see that... Um, Peter didn't read the whole verse that the next part of it, after it says, I'll pour out my spirit, your young men will dream dreams, your old men will prophesy. Right after that, it says blood, vapor, and fires, or it says blood, fire, and vapor of smoke. Mm -hmm. Now, it's just kind of a, uh, to us in our Western understanding, kind of a weird thing to end this, this prophetic declaration with where Joel just says blood, fire, and vapor of smoke. Um, but what this person was putting out to me was, Peter said that that verse was fulfilled even though those things were not literally there. There was no fire or blood or smoke in the room. Yet mm -hmm. Peter still was able to say, no, 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 that's been fulfilled though. So either that verse wasn't literal and Peter understood that or Peter was wrong. And we would say, oh, it wasn't really fulfilled because those things didn't literally happen. So what he was showing me is that that passage in Joel is an example of apocalyptic literature where they infused a important event with extremely dramatic or bombastic language. Um, mm -hmm. And it was just their way of highlighting that, that important uh, event and say, this is a big deal, pay attention. Uh, mm. And so therefore it's, it's not a, a literal, uh, it's not meant to be literally interpreted. It's meant to be understood as an important event that ca carries even cosmic significance, 
but that exact wording is not literal. Uh, and so you take that, you apply that to Revelation. That's the entire book is, is apocalyptic literature written in that same yes. way as that one verse in Joel. Um, so once I learned that, I mean, now we're just going. I mean, first I'm deconstructing like creationism in Genesis. Now I'm jumping over to Revelation and I'm rethinking the rapture and the tribulation and the end times. And, uh, <laughs> and that, that's Everything a lot else. of fun to jump into. Yeah. Yeah. I think like, you know what? Sometimes when reading the passages, like for example, Paul does this a lot. He'll take things out of the Old Testament um, to kind of, um, emphasize this point. For example, in First Peter, he does that as well. Peter takes things out of the Old Testament out of its context and uses it to emphasize his point. Like, for That's example, right. he does yeah. it with the Proverbs. It's like, God gives grace to the humble. And it's like, but in the full, um, like if you read that full chapter, that's not really, you know, there's like so much context that Peter isn't including. So it's like, does Paul have bad exegesis? You know, like, does yeah, Peter have yeah. bad exegesis? Like, are they just like reading the Old Testament in the wrong way? Or are we interpreting the wrong, like That's the right. wrong way? So when I actually saw that verse from Peter, I'm like, what is this exactly? Uh, what does this exactly mean? You know, um, in the upper room when they're speaking about, you know, that specific prophecy being fulfilled. And right, so right. going back and looking at it and understanding, oh, you know, there is different ways of interpreting this. Um, and, you know, truly understanding, like, okay, so for example, my, my thing is like knowledge is great. Knowledge is amazing. You want to go in, you want to study the Bible, especially if you, if you love God and you want to understand and know God for who he is, not for who people are telling you that he is, right? So that right. was one of my, my biggest things is like dealing with um, same-sex attraction. The church would tell me that, uh, that I was not accepted by God, that God couldn't possibly love someone who had same-sex attraction. Or um, if I didn't change, um, that God would not accept me. So uh, seeing my experiences and how they kind of flowed out in my life, um, understanding that God accepted me while I was still a sinner and in my sin, and he still does every single day because I am still a sinner covered by the blood of Jesus. Um, I That led me to understand, oh, wow, maybe sometimes when people say things about God, that doesn't necessarily mean that that is how God is. So I want to study this for myself. And that's what propelled me to go into school for biblical literature. And right. seeing that, I'm like, oh, man, you know, there's, there's so much that I want to know. But... I can't let my knowledge interfere with my faith. And there are just some things that I'm never going to be able to answer. And we're just never going to know for sure, you know? And so that's like things like, for example, when that is being studied and interpreted uh, in, in the upper room, why does Peter use that? We can have some context clues that are going to lead us closer to why we think he might have said that. But um, I think something that happens within um, biblical culture or within the churches is that we take things and we make them absolute truths. And yeah. then we say there is, it is impossible for this to mean anything other. And that is what makes someone a fundamentalist really at the end You're of the day right. is their ignorance. Yeah. yeah so, You're absolutely um, right. That, that's even what um, Rachel Held Evans says uh, about fundamentalism. She, she said in her book, Faith Unraveled, she, she said, I define fundamentalism as holding on to your beliefs so tightly that it leaves fingernail imprints in the palm of your hand. Uh, so it's that clutching, that 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 holding your your beliefs like like you won't let anything change them, you won't let anything happen to them. Uh, when she said that, what she had to learn was that Holy Spirit wants her to keep her beliefs in an open hand, allowing him, yes. allowing allowing him to to move and teach and and change things that need to be changed. Uh, because really, when mm -hmm. we hold our beliefs so tightly, we're basically saying that we're we're putting, I think. Um, an overemphasis on the works from man and and, and uh, the development of, of ideas 
that we've had over the years, um, instead of allowing Holy Spirit to, you know, going humbly before him to, to change things. Um, yeah. And, and some, that, some that, things are just not even really needed at the end of the day. You know, like yeah. I, for example, some things are absolutely needed. Like I know, I know that I know that Jesus died for me and that he came to save me from my sins, right? He is the, the slain lamb. There's so many different, yeah. like the way that you build doctrine, obviously, is if there's a verse that is mentioned, not just one time, but many different times. So there are things that are mentioned consecutively, like over and over and over and over again. And those are the things that are crucial to our faith. But then there are details like, creationism and whether the world was built in seven literal days or not you know or why this specific verse was used and those things are important because it helps us to understand god better um and not you know (laughs) do justice to the character of god when people come to ask us about the questions that they have um but finding that balance between knowledge and then also faith understanding that Mm -hmm. faith is the things that i cannot see or sometimes even the things that i cannot know for sure so how do you joey like find that um, balance between knowing all the things that you've now studied um that Mm -hmm. are deconstructing your faith and then reconstructing it back up again um but then also just having faith and understanding i could be wrong um, about many different things how do you deal with that well for me it's about letting the bible um letting the Bible be what it's meant to be instead of putting pressure on it to be what it's not. And Mm -hmm. when you do that, it it frees you to not be so, I guess, um, concerned about deconstructing certain things. Uh, Because, okay, for instance, we're talking about creationism. Um, Mm -hmm. I do not believe the Bible was ever intended to be a science book. I don't think that that's what its goal ever was. Um, And so with that in mind, it's not sacred to it's the, the scientific beliefs like creation science those aren't sacred things it's okay to question that because mm-hmm. that's not what the bible is intended to be so mm-hmm. what is the bible's intended to be I, I is it infallible um the way i like to say it is that um well this is actually something i heard from i think pastor brian zond um he said the bible is infallible in what it's intended to do it's not infallible in what we think it should do it's infallible in what's intended to do which is to point us to jesus that's the whole purpose of the bible that that right there that you know jesus is the actual word uh jesus Mm -hmm. is jesus is uh the actual word of god that's what that's his title all throughout the bible that's what he's called even in revelation the bible is just our vehicle pointing towards him you know and that's all that it's meant to do so yeah. in doing that, it's infallible. But in telling us about science, even telling us about the ancient history and the archaeological history of, of ancient Israel, those kind of things, it's not infallible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I basically had to embrace the fact that uh, the Bible is even that, that Jesus is better than the Bible. Um, mm-hmm. Jesus even points that out through the Gospels. He several times proves that he is better than the Bible. Uh, mm-hmm. He has the right to edit it. Even there's a there's a story in the Bible where Jesus goes to the temple and he pulls out a scroll from Isaiah and he reads it and he and he finds a part in Isaiah that's talking about himself and he reads it to to the room. Well, if you go back and look at the Isaiah verse that he's quoting, you'll see that Jesus actually stops midway through one of the sentences and doesn't go on. He edits Isaiah. Because he's better than the Bible. He could do that. Now, what's that line that he that he removed? 
it was um, so he's talking about Jesus or Isaiah is talking about the Messiah coming, talking about the day of the Lord and, and the Messiah coming. And there's a line where Isaiah says, and so will be the vengeance of our God. And that's the line that Jesus refused to say. He quotes the whole chapter but, or that whole passage, but refuses to say that line about the vengeance of our God, because he's showing mm-hmm. the Old Testament guys. They expected vengeance. They thought that they were serving a God of vengeance. They thought that I was about vengeance and bloodshed. But Jesus right there mm-hmm. takes that line and says, I know what's in the Bible. And, you know, this this right here changes everything about the Bible being inerrant and infallible. People say the Bible yeah, is inerrant. So- People say the Bible is inerrant, yet Jesus himself removed a verse from Isaiah saying, I'm not going to say that. You thought I was going to be violent, but I'm not going to say that. I'm not violent. Uh, so... Again, this just proves that the Bible is only, well, I shouldn't say only because this is not a, a diminishment at all. This is, this is embracing what it is, that the Bible is inerrant and pointing us to Jesus. Uh, mm-hmm. But there's some things in the Old Testament uh, that were a product of, of man's understanding of God at that time. Isaiah thought the Messiah would come in violence and, and overthrow you know, the powers at the, of the world. Jesus had to mm-hmm. subvert that expectation by, by coming in peace and in doing so proving forever that the Bible, especially the Old Testament, has some things that Jesus corrects, that he's better than. And therefore that the Bible is not, uh, well, it's not really the rule book of life. It is a vehicle to point to Jesus and that's what it's meant to be. Yeah, and I love that, you know, because uh, that was actually um, understanding and when I was studying my degree at O. Roberts, um, it's once again so funny how that is like um, an evangelical, you know, college, um, but they are teaching the exact same things that you are teaching, um, which is amazing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember just thinking they asked us a question: What is the whole point of the Bible? And they were trying to get us to understand the same thing that you're basically repeating: that it is basically God's love letter to show us Jesus, right? That's the whole purpose and the main point of everything. It's not for us to understand the entire historical background of Israel. It's not for us to understand where certain places or things are exactly to the T on the dot, right? The the whole point from Genesis all the way up, um, up to Revelation is that God is trying to show us how he is redeeming humankind. And the the most amazing thing, the most amazing thing about God as well is that he places this upon the hands of humans. And we know that humans are filled with a lot of errors. <laughs> humans, yeah. and not that the Bible is filled with errors because it's not, because it's exactly what God wanted it to be so that we could see him in the light that he wants us to see him, right? So, But he puts it within the hands of humans who have their own predispositions, their own personal biases, he puts them um, in, in certain uh, worldviews, right? And so they are writing from these worldviews, from these predispositions, from their own opinions. And it is That's being right. inspired by the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit isn't writing it. It's being inspired by the Holy Spirit. So, of course, there's mm-hmm. going to be some things that are not necessarily inspired, um, well, that not necessarily are being written exactly to the T by the Holy Spirit. So I love yeah. that you actually say that Jesus is editing it. Um, yeah. 
and because he is like greater than humans um but exactly. he is just empowering the humans and using the power um empowering the humans and encouraging the human even knowing that there might be some mistakes that they mm -hmm. might make and um, exactly. insert in some personal biases you know um yeah not that the bible is full of personal biases but we have no, to no, understand gotcha. from we have to take it in context from the beginning all the way to the end so you right. mentioned that you don't think that jesus is violent but yes. i personally for example i have a lot of friends who think that jesus is violent and that his second coming is going to be very violent um, and when we read Revelation, it may seem that way. So what would you say to people like that? Okay, great question. So this is a big thing for me is how do we reconcile the violent God of the Old Testament with the message of Jesus and loving your enemies in the new? Uh, in the Old mm -hmm. Testament, you have uh, Joshua being told by God, uh, so he says, to commit genocide. I mean, there's no sugarcoating it. That's literally what Joshua is told to do. He's told to go into these towns like Jericho and elsewhere and kill every man, woman, and child um, and wipe them out. Then we get to the New Testament and you have Jesus saying, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, and do not live by the sword. And when he's up on the cross uh, uh, dying, he says, Father, forgive them instead of you know dying with judgment. So what happened? Did, did God himself like read a Rachel Held Evans book and deconstruct and, and decide to become peaceful. I mean, literally, like what happened? Now, most people don't mm -hmm. think that God changes. There are some uh, that are okay with that idea, but but most Christians, most in American evangelicals, you know, we think that God is. We believe that God is is immutable and cannot change, because He says yeah. several times in the Bible that He doesn't. So it's not that God changed. So so what happened? Well, uh, I believe that Jesus is our clearest picture of who god is jesus says when mm -hmm. you see me you see the father so jesus yes. is our picture of Je of god jesus is perfect theology when you look at him you see god and, and jesus and god doesn't change so that means that god has always been like jesus so when Jesus says, love your enemies, that's what God's always been saying. God has always been like Jesus. There's never been a time where he's not been like Jesus. We just haven't mm -hmm. always known that. Um, yeah. And he you know, understands human weaknesses as well. Exactly. So he permits for those weaknesses. So something that he loves to do, which is to die for his enemy, he, he knows that yeah. the humans are not going to be able to do that. That if he exactly. gives that instruction, that they're going to fail at that. So he's basically setting them up to fail. And understanding and, and studying, for example, Matthew chapter 21, which is the last one that I studied in my Bible study, which, by the way, guys, if you haven't checked it out, I live stream every single Wednesday. Um, my Bible studies and it's we go real deep into the topics like this But the nice. first thing that that he does is that he is welcomed into you know the temple With shouts of Hosanna save us save us right because exactly. they have a personal bias and an experience of what he's gonna come to do Which is to overthrow the Roman Empire and to be violent yep. and bloody and all these different things But then what does he do? He goes straight into the temple and he actually rebukes the humans so he okay. is in alignment with understanding just like the Old Testament God where every time the Old Testament God speaks, it's actually not for the humans like um, to congratulate them and tell them, oh, you're doing a great job, sweetie. You know, you're doing amazing. <laughs> um, the prophets are like, you're doing awful. This is not what God actually wants. Every right. single time the God of the Old Testament actually rebukes humans, he rebukes his children. Um, so then when Jesus shows up in the temple, what does he do? He rebukes the so-called children of Israel for um, taking worship and making a, making it 
a money-based profitable thing, right? right so right. he he lines up with the God of the Old Testament, which is not changing. And so what you're, and then he takes it even a step further, and he's like, I'm not actually going to do what you guys want me to do, which is to be violent, which is to overthrow these empires. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. why he would we expect? Yeah. Exactly. Why would we expect that in the second coming, he's going to do what we want him to do as Christians? Yes. And what do we want as Christians? Of course, like humans, we want him to come down and just start killing everybody and bring justice and just like wrath right. to everyone. Right. Um, but Completely I don't think that's what he's going to do. His entire message of peace. So I actually think that, um, you know, it's important to remember that a revelation, you know, because you said you, you have friends who think that revelation shows Jesus coming back as a violent God. And that is a very common idea in evangelical churches. They say, oh, he came the first time as a lamb, but he's coming back as a lion. Completely yes. misunderstanding <laughs> the whole lion and the lamb analogy in the first place or, you know, that whole imagery. It's not that's not what it's saying. <laughs> Just we'll shorten it there. But um, the thing that I would like to point out is that when Jesus is, is shown coming back in Revelation uh, chapter uh, 19 or maybe 18, um, mm -hmm. it's two things. He comes back and he has a sword and his robe is bloody. So people say, okay, see, he's coming to kill. He has a sword. His robe is covered in blood of his enemies. He's coming to, to, to kill people. Well, two important mm -hmm. things. First of all, that sword is not in his hands. It's in his mouth. The sword yeah. of his mouth, which is a representation for his words. So it's it's saying yeah. that he wins, that his victory is established through his words, not through actually stabbing people um, with a mm -hmm. literal sword. And then secondly, that robe that's bloody, it's bloody before he even gets to earth. So if that were the blood of his victims, that makes no sense. How is he? How is it already bloody if nobody's died? So it's his mm -hmm. own blood. It's symbolizing that he has victory through his own self-sacrifice, through his own loving sacrifice. And that theme is repeated in Revelation with the seven trumpets and then again uh, with the, or with the uh, seven um, bowls. Uh, mm -hmm. So as they go through, or yeah, the seven uh, scrolls actually and seven trumpets. As they go through these different things, the first six trumpets and the first six scrolls are all violence, you know, the horsemen get released, death and plague and famine and, and uh, you know, yes. all sorts of violence in the world. But then both times it shows that the victory of the lamb is established through peace and through love and through not killing your enemies uh, and through mm -hmm. that sacrifice. Both In both of these analogies that John gives us or both of these imageries that John give, gives us, he shows that Jesus does not respond with violence. You know, in the case of the trumpets, that's when you have the two witnesses who are martyred, and it's because of their martyrdom that the world repents. So he's showing us yeah. that the church's victory is through laying down your life, not through taking others. The whole thing yes. is a is a is contrasting the kingdoms of man and at that time Rome, but it applies to us today. The kingdoms of man yes. and its violence and its victory through violence. That's being contrasted with the kingdom of the Lamb whose victory is established mm -hmm. not through death, but by defeating death. Um, so the fact that we read Revelation and get away from it thinking, oh, Jesus is violent, it just shows how completely, um, and I don't mean this in a mean way, but just for lack of a better word, how clueless we are to the uh, original intent of that author uh, and to apocalyptic literature, uh, because we're coming away with a message that's entirely opposite. 
um, yes. which is so unfortunate. Look and at I, the Mark of the Beast, you know? The, the Mark of the Beast had a very political connotation against empires, and yet we come away thinking that it's about microchips made by Bill Gates. <laughs> it's just yes. it's just ridiculous. <laughs> I think, you know, something really crazy to me is that um, studying the Sermon on the Mount, which was, you know, the only, pretty much the only sermon that Jesus ever gave in its full, you know, context right we have that um and both uh, well all three of the synoptic gospels i believe um and studying the sermon on the mount i was just i was confused because these are a set of rules that basically tell me i have to lay down my life at every single opportunity you know i have to put other people before i put myself um even risk my own life in the process so thinking to myself, okay, how does this align with um, the God of Revelation? When I think to myself, you know, some some of the fundamentalists or evangelicism, they will say this. They will say um, that the Antichrist is going to actually be the one to bring peace. So yeah. we have to be scared of peace because yeah. it, as soon as peace comes, then we think, oh, that's the Antichrist. So I'm like thinking to myself, I don't I don't want to be confused in the in, in the end times. Like, how do I know which one's going to be Jesus? If you know, if the Antichrist is supposed to be peace um, yeah. for all of the yeah. nations, like, w w what do you think about that? Like, um, how, yeah. should we be scared of peace or should we like in encourage that? And what does we, peace even look like? <laughs> yeah, well, good question. Well, I think it, it, it best looks like um, loving your... Well, I think it best is modeled in Jesus, of course, loving your enemy uh, and, and praying for those who persecute you. And, you know, as he said, uh, if, turning the... Basically, he says when someone uh, takes your shirt, give him your robe also. He's basically saying don't return with violence. Even if violence is committed against you, don't return with violence. And that's how we yeah. uh, we carry the message of peace. Um, but yeah. that Antichrist thing, you know, look at how it's this literal idea of, of revelation. Look at how much it has limited the church's responsibility and our, our reach into this world. Because of thinking that a, a literal Antichrist is going to come and preach peace, and so we have to be careful of it, we're now running away from things that the church should be champion championing. Like, like um, yeah. You know, we should Our, it, be it actually instills it actually instills fear in us to it not does. want to practice the things that Jesus actually told us to practice. Exactly. Because if I'm scared of peace, if I'm scared of, of loving my enemies, um, I'm not going to want to do that because I'm like, OK, well, I read Revelation where it says that um, I'm not supposed to submit unto other people. I'm not supposed to submit unto evil, you know, but Jesus Jesus did, you know, he submitted his entire life, not unto evil, but unto the father, you know, sure. and yeah. he yeah. laid down his life unto death, you know, so that means ultimately he did something that was submitting unto evil, you know, yeah. and yeah. it sounds really radical, but at the same time, that's how he beat evil. That's how he defeated evil. And he right. is the, like the substance of all goodness. Exactly. So I'm thinking yes. to myself, like, this is not actually a Christian message when I uh, read books like Left Behind or watch, you know, the Hollywood movies, which I want to get into because you are, you love finding these evangelical movies that are old that are just like instilling fear in people yeah. to um, actually um, uh, break people's spirits, to um, mm -hmm. uh, kill people's opinions. 
um, yeah. to be fearful of the people who are around you, um, to become more of conspiracy theorists than anything else. You know, yeah. we have a whole entire community of Christians who are more like conspiracy theorists than they are showing the love of Jesus and having patience yes. and understanding and knowing the power behind our love. Um, so when, you know, the devil is really, he's really sneaky. He's like, if I can, if I can get them to stop loving, I can get them to stop producing the power of God on this planet. So what does he do? He makes us fearful of peace. And so he, you know, the devil, he knows the Bible better than we do. So he takes the Bible and he puts the little truths that are from the Bible and he mixes them up into a lie, turning revelation, which was supposed to be an encouragement to us to understand that Jesus Christ is going to be our hope and our com like he's going to come back the second time and establish and finish what he did the first time. Right. Um, and then he turns it around on us and actually makes us um, want to um, abandon our our yeah. Christian values and the things that Jesus actually asked for us to do. And, 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 so, yeah. Well, sorry, sorry yeah, yeah. to cut you off. Uh, but I'm just excited. No, no, go ahead. You know, a lot of these false fundamentals, they, they even cause us to lose sight of some important Christian uh, beliefs. Like, for instance, you know, yes. one of the first commands that is given to man is to tend to the earth. And yet, with the rapture idea so ingrained in us, we have Christians who could not care less about that command. Uh, because mm -hmm. we think this whole world's going to be destroyed anyway. So what's the point of taking care of it? What's the point of caring for it? You know, if... if, if I've said were, that many times. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's true. We, we completely lose sight of a major responsibility. And, mm -hmm. and we even lose sight, I think, of uh, the hurting in the world because we think that, um, well, you know... Jesus is going to be a band-aid to be able to fix all those things so we don't have to fix it, right? Yeah. But or, Jesus or wants to use us exactly or we even think that the bad things going on in the world are supposed to be happening because they're a sign of the times so well that yeah. bad thing is just that's a sign of the end times so of course that's happening but we're, we're losing sight of the fact that we're supposed to be used by holy spirit to be a balm to, to the wounds of this world to, to to help partner with god in redeeming his creation um you know i think that the gospel that's laid out throughout the entire Bible and, and by and re reiterated by Paul and in Revelation is that the church is supposed to partner with God in the ministry of new creation, of bringing heaven to earth. You know, we're so mm -hmm. caught up in this idea that we're going to one day leave earth in a rapture that we forget that Jesus yes. told us to pray for heaven to come down to earth, not for us to leave. Uh, our yeah. mission and is speaking, speaking of rapture, yeah. what do you think about the rapture? Because I remember my first time um, I, I was, you know, obviously raised in that. So I was thinking to myself, oh, we're not going to go, you know, through the tribulation. I'm just going to be raptured up into heaven. And then uh, I was, I was with a uh, friend at church and she actually told me, she's like, okay, well, can you show me where the rapture is? And I said, oh yeah, yeah, you know what? It's in here. So I grabbed my Bible, started flipping through the pages. I'm like, you know, what's in here? It's in here. Revelations, you know, I got to find it. I got to find it. And then I couldn't find the rapture. And I started to realize, I'm like, oh man, you know, like I'm not, we're not going anywhere. Like even the people who have been raptured, I believe are ultimately going to come back down, which is, you know, the people who didn't die, who didn't die, Enoch didn't die and Elijah didn't die. So who do we expect those two witnesses at the end to be? The only two people who haven't died, they need to come back down to die, right? So that's, that's my interpretation of it. I'm like, if Jesus died, what makes us think that we can escape death? 
Elijah can escape death. Enoch can escape death. Um, they were supposedly raptured, but they have to, you know, supposedly be the two witnesses. So I um, am more in alignment to the belief um, that we are going to go through the tribulation, but Jesus is going to hold our hands through those very difficult and rough times. Um, and ultimately, we are going to die for our faith. And most people would be like, okay, well, then why would Jesus have to die if, if, um, if, if we have to die? And I'm like, well, because Jesus produced our salvation. He saved us. Like, just because I die does not mean that I saved myself. It is a result of my faith for Jesus, um, of laying down my life, of being a follower of Jesus. If Jesus died, that means I got to die too. So in the pre-tribulation and even in Revelations, for example, I think chapter 7, I'm not sure, or 6, it talks about how he's not going to come down into the fulfillment of all the church on the earth is slain like those that are in her in heaven currently right mm -hmm. so he's basically saying he's like hey i'm not coming down until the christians are dead you know <laughs> and that's when i'm like whoa you know i'm like so what what do you think of, which is obviously i haven't gone super into detail i haven't studied the book of revelation oh, into, yeah. into max detail but what do you think about the rapture well um i i, I totally um understand where you're coming from uh and i i i can see um how you would um get to that conclusion and i, I don't think there's anything uh you know inherently wrong with that it's not where i stand but obviously um you know that's that's fine um to disagree um but no i i don't um believe in a rapture in the traditional sense at all um i don't believe in the well so a lot of this comes from dispensationalism um, which believes that God works in seven different um, phases of life of, uh, of human history. And um, I've rejected that notion of God because I don't believe that at any moment in time he's holding, he's, he's operating at less than 100%. Um, so dispensationalism, basically, to work, you have to believe that in one dispensation, God is holding back some of his love. Um, and I don't believe that about God. I believe he's always 100% completely love. Um, and so I, I, I don't actually believe in the rapture. A lot of the verses that people use to explain the rapture, I think, are very misunderstood. Uh, and I think are actually primarily talking about the second coming of Christ. So I, I reject the rapture, but I still do believe in the second coming. Um, I think mm -hmm. that the, the hope of the earliest Christians and even the hope of the ancient Jewish world was for the resurrection. And yes. we've so, uh, Christians, we've so gotten away from the idea of the resurrection that a lot of us don't even know really what that means. Um, New Testament scholar N.T. Yes. Wright has a book called Surprised by Hope, and it's all about reclaiming that original hope of the resurrection rather than a rapture. And what the idea is, and this is laid out even in Genesis, is that... Um, Basically, Genesis shows us in Eden a perfect world where heaven and earth are in one, in unison, where heaven is not a place up in the sky you can go to. It's like another dimension, but it overlaps with earth in Eden. But then because yes. of the fall, because of sin, that overlap is pulled apart. And now we have yes. to recreate that overlap through uh, temples, you know, through, through uh, first the... You know, through through Moses, and then of course the temple made by yeah the by tabernacle, Solomon, the tabernacle. Thank you, and then the temple yeah. made by Solomon. Uh, those are p places to reconnect. But then when Jesus comes, John says, uh, John describes him as a temple. And he's saying that this now Jesus is that temple. He's that point that reconnects us to heaven. He's that point that brings heaven back to earth, just like the holy of holies. 
And then Jesus yeah. now, as he has ascended to heaven, and we are now his his church full, full, full of the Holy Spirit, we're now carrying that connection to heaven. We're now continuing that mission. And our mission is essentially to create pockets of heaven on earth, which is why he told us to pray for heaven to come to earth. Um, and so yeah. our mission, you know, is to bring the culture of heaven to earth. You know, when Paul says, um, when Paul talks about uh, in First Thessalonians, what people think he's talking about the rapture, he says you'll be caught up mm-hmm. in he- you'll be caught up into the clouds, uh, and you'll meet the Lord there. He's talking about the second coming, not the rapture, and he's referencing. Uh, he's pulling back to some Old Testament stuff, but he's also referencing a Roman practice called parousia. And parousia was when if Caesar was going through a province, if he was traveling and he was going through a province, the citizens in that province would get word that he's on his way and they would run out of the town and go meet him while he was on his way. And then they would lead him to the city. And as they're leading him, they're celebrating him. They're having like a big military parade essentially to celebrate the Caesar. So basically, a parousia is when those citizens would do like a welcome wagon to welcome Caesar into their province. And Paul's using yeah. that word. He uses that exact word in First Thessalonians to describe us meeting Jesus in the clouds to lead him back down. So the original readers would know he's not talking about us going in the clouds and then staying there. He's talking about us going and then immediately turning around and leading Jesus back to earth in a parousia. Yeah. Um, so yeah. that's my eschatology. It's not that yeah. we leave earth. It's that earth and heaven become one once again. And yeah. that we lead, we walk with Jesus back to earth. Now, let me ask you, yeah. which of these ideas, rapture versus this, you know, gives us more of a, a important responsibility here and now. With the rapture, we basically can wait. We can sit. We know we're saved. Yes. We can try to get our friends saved if, you know, uh, sure. But other than that, this earth is going to be blown up. It's going to be destroyed. Who cares? With this version, yeah. though, with new creation, with understanding a eschatology of new creation where heaven and earth become one, now I care about this planet. I care about this world. And not only that, but Paul reiterates this. I know I'm rambling. I'm sorry. <laughs> but Paul reiterates this. No, this, this. is good. He says um, in, in one verse, uh, um, he, he talks about how um, we uh, will be that, – that the works that man does – that the works of this earth will be will be tried by fire, and what is good, yes. what is pure, will remain. So he's saying that yes. what we do right here, right now, it matters. Because if we do good, if, if we uh, impact this world with the culture of heaven, that will actually remain, which gives us the awesome honor and responsibility to join with God in redeeming creation uh, through acts yeah. of love, through acts of self-sacrifice, through, through forgiveness— that every time we yeah. act in forgiveness and love, we are invading this world with the culture of heaven. You know, to borrow from a Roman example again, uh, Rome when it mm-hmm. was when it when it, the Roman Empire spread, um, it created these provinces where it took over with Roman culture. It replaced the culture of that province with Rome. And Paul's imagery here invokes when he says that we're a citizen of heaven. Uh, elsewhere in the Bible, mm-hmm. he says that we're citizens of heaven. He doesn't mean, oh, we're a citizen of heaven, so one day we're going to leave and go there. He means, as yeah. citizens of heaven, we infuse this world with the culture of heaven. We invade yes. this world with the heavenly culture, which goes against death and, and embraces love. So, 
and you know something that's really interesting about that too is that that was a lot but I'm it was sorry. really good you know <laughs> no no that was so good it's interesting because uh i don't know if you've heard of miles monroe at all but yeah. miles monroe has written a lot of books that are kind of that whole theory of let's bring heaven on earth that we have to really care and tend to the earth right now you know because it's that whole you know parallelism of different dimensions collaborating with each other exactly. so for example i think it's um physics that um there are some things that are just unexplainable in physics that they just they cannot understand but one thing that they know is that there are the laws of physics do not apply outside of different dimensions and stuff so there there's top leading physicists who are um which is something that i saw on tiktok who cannot explain how some of the rules change as dimensions like um enter so they're basically saying that there's like there's different dimensions that we can't see or even explain or even understand and the laws of physics physics do not apply to that dimension and sure. why because we know that there is a spiritual world all around us and we are supposed to be helping God and that's what he wants is because when he created us um, he gave us these tasks which was what to help build essentially a world with him exactly partner with him so that's our whole thing now and it's it's 100 true is that when i think of a rapture i just think of a bunch of people going you know what well it's meant to be anyway so i don't really have to do a lot of work i'm gonna be gone and i just think of people who are just you know (laughs) i don't i don't want to say it like that but i think of people like i mean how could how could you think oh it's okay you know um leaving people who need jesus on the earth and then just being okay with that just being like oh well i'm gone peace out bye you're gonna burn there's gonna be scorpions oh my that are gonna God, kill you. Yes, exactly. You know? uh, I, I think to myself, how how hateful and how selfish and yes. how lazy that sounds to me. Like, do you do you care at all? Exactly. Uh, I want to be here during the tribulation. Like, I want to be able to save every person that I possibly can with the words and the testimony of Jesus. Right. So I'm like, why would I ever want to leave the earth so that I can't do that? But you bring up a really interesting point as well, which is, you know, the whole premise of the resurrection and what yeah. even heaven looks like. We think that heaven is just a place that we go to on the clouds and we all have mansions, right? And there's like gold streets. Yeah. But it's like, what? It's like, no, actually God is going to use, he's going to resurrect our bodies. Yes. And then he's going to glorify them. So that means that in order, my, like my body's down here. When we die, our bodies, you know, they stay down here and they it disintegrate into dirt. He's going to somehow make that body come alive again resurrect it you know that's this is what judaism believes is like um that the closer you are to jerusalem um the the better it'll be you know when you're when you're buried because eventually that body is going to rise again right it's going to be resurrected just like jesus did and you know he glorified his own body as well so it's like heaven is not going to be this place that's up in the clouds with mansions and ghost streets heaven is going to be here on this earth and we're going to be ruling and reigning with jesus for a thousand years here on this earth and then being tried by fire we know that that's going to come eventually yes the world is supposedly going to be burnt up whether that's literal or symbolic i don't know but it's what you said with paul says that eventually there is going to be a fire that is only going like what's going to remain out of that fire is going to be all the good things that we did Mm -hmm. so the good things that we do now on this earth are very important we cannot be lazy we cannot ignore those things um but then there is you know some sneaky theology that can somehow get in there which is just like 
okay, well, if I can be good, why do I need Jesus to come back the second time? Why can't we just establish everything now? Which is where most, you know, some, some denominations, like for example, you know, Bethel theology, is that they don't really necessarily want Jesus to come back. They believe that they can establish everything that Jesus has without him coming back, sort of, from what I've heard, which is like Chris Valentin. And then so it's like, then we are, we're not expecting the Savior to come back because we can do everything that the Savior can do, which I don't think is correct either. Yeah, But we are, we, we, we do have to um, end the podcast. We, this is amazing. It's been an amazing conversation. So just to end it off, what are some resources that people um, can look at to understand and fully, you know, like what, what mm-hmm. would you even call yourself? What kind of denomination label? Like uh, um, how can people explore this more? Well, um, I don't know about the label besides just Christian. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. I, I'm still figuring out where things land. Oh, man, I, I'm sad that the podcast has to end, though, because there's so much I still wanted to say. But, hey, maybe we could do this again sometime. Um, but, Heck, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but anyway, as far as resources, if you're interested in what's um, in, in like an eschatology away from the rapture, um, I cannot recommend more Surprised by Hope by N.T. Wright. Um, that, that goes into um, reclaiming this resurrection, this new creation theology, and it, it, it's very powerful. Um, also, it, it, um, if you're deconstructing like me, you know, when I first started this, when we first started talking, I was saying how I went through some questioning about, about science and about creationism. Uh, we didn't get to go into it much further, but it got dark at it for a time where I was so involved in questions about the church and about faith that it became lonely it became scary. I started wondering, what am I even going to believe? Who even am I going to be? And a book by Rachel Held Evans called Faith Unraveled ministered deeply to me and showed me that I'm not alone and that it's okay to ask questions and that God's not intimidated by your questions, that he wants you to ask questions. Um, so if you're deconstructing like I was, maybe it's not about science specifically. Maybe it's about something else. Um, but if you are, I can't recommend her book enough. It ministered deeply to me. Oh, and yeah, then one last I'm, one, one last one. I'm sorry, <laughs> but but um, "Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God" by Brian Zond. The last four chapters are all about Revelation. You'll relearn how to read Revelation. It's great. So Brian Zond, "Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God." All right. I feel um, I, I'm just so happy to have you on the podcast. You know, um, like for example, I am in this those stages of deconstructing what I have thought or believed for such a long time. Um, and that doesn't mean that I'm not a Christian. That doesn't yeah. mean that I don't take some things in the Bible literally. You know, sure. that doesn't mean that that I don't believe every single word on on this. You know, this this book. I do. Um, but it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to do research. It's okay. You know, yeah. like God is not going to be scared of those types of things. And one thing I really love and admire about you is that you could have really just been like, you know what? F this, I'm going to be an atheist. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's <laughs> you know, like that's I, true. I don't, I, I don't want to keep my faith anymore, but you propelled even through the knowledge understanding, you know, um, we have to be careful with knowledge sometimes because it does, you know, knowledge puffs up. Um, so finding that really beautiful balance of understanding, okay, I can have knowledge. I can ask questions, but at the same time I have to humble myself and have humility to know that yeah. I'm not going to like have every answer and there are going to be things that I just don't know, you know, um, and that's okay because, you know, my faith is founded 
in Jesus and in what he's done and everything that he's done. And the more that I produce that intimacy in my relationship with him, um, I'm going to be fine whether I have all the answers, whether I don't, whether I took some really weird paths um, and uh, finding different interpretations and, and, and translations and right. all these different stuff. Right. Um, he's going to take care of me because he loves me and he is our shepherd. He's the, the chief shepherd, which ultimately the shepherd does not abandon the sheep if you are really in, in intimacy and in love with him. So That's I'm grateful right. for you, Joey. <laughs> well, um, and I, I, guys, I want to send you over to Joey's um, TikTok. So what's your username on TikTok? It's just my name, just Joey Treve, uh, which, by the way, I know that's the weirdest last name you've ever heard. Um, it's very <laughs> German, uh, but it's J-O-E-Y-T-R-I-E-B. That's it. And okay. he he's also coming up with a YouTube channel. So what's yes. your user username for YouTube? Uh, so that channel's not launched yet. Um, well, I think I actually made it to just to claim the, the name so that nobody else could take it, but there's nothing on it yet. It hasn't actually officially launched, but it's going to be called All Things Reconsidered. Awesome. Okay, awesome. So I will put all those links down in the description, guys. Um, please, please, please go check out his work even if necessarily you don't agree, um, if you believe in the rapture, if you believe in these ideas and creationism, you know, we didn't even get into hell, which I wanted to get uh, into, so I have to have yeah. him back. Yeah. Um, but guys, even if you disagree, you know, open up your mind because if you really do um, have a, a belief system that um, is true, then other people's opinions and knowledge are not gonna affect what you believe is true. So you're gonna keep that open knowledge. Like for example, I don't know half of the things that he's studied and have has researched. And there are things that he said that I'm like, oh, I never heard that before. You know, <laughs> that's a little scary to me. But I I am firm in my belief and in my understanding and, and, and my relationship with Jesus that those things are not going to destroy my faith. They're actually going to propel my faith for me to go and do my research and do my studying and see where he's coming from and understanding those types of things. And, and then ultimately, ultimately be like, oh, he's right or he's wrong. You know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So that's what I want you guys to know. That's why I brought him on um, the show and non-Christian in progress um, because guess what? It's a progression. It's part of the pro the progress. And so he's a perfect person to look into for more information and his TikToks are amazing, guys. So <laughs> thank you once thank again, you. Joey, for being, for just being you and for coming on here, man. No, thank I, you I for really inviting appreciate me. it. And, and uh, I appreciate the work you're doing, man. So keep at it and, and thanks. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for tuning in and for listening. I know this has been a rather long podcast, but definitely we'll have Joey back on again. So stay tuned for that. Um, but I hope you guys have a beautiful, wonderful, blessed day. Peace out.